Hey everyone, welcome to EscapingRockBottom.com. I'm your host, Brandon Lee, alongside Jeremy, which you may, if you're watching us, you may recognize him years later from Baywatch, back in the day, Hobie. Yep. Hobie Buchanan That's on right. Baywatch. That's right. Um, but I'm down here in my hometown of Newport Beach because this is where I grew up. Um, man, thanks for thanks for doing this. Thanks for, for being part of this and being willing to, to share your story. Of course, man. It's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah. So I'm really excited about this. Take me back to... Well, shoot, let's just go back to the childhood days and what it was like. You were kind of telling me a little bit about um, how you even got into the whole acting world, mm -hmm. and you did that at the age of like 10. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I, I started acting at six. I did a lot of TV shows and commercials, and I hit a home run. Um, you know, I grew up without a dad, so I was really eager to please and, and, mm -hmm. and eager to uh, do a good job and kind of uh, earn earn those uh, accolades and um, that acceptance, you know, so that made me a shoe in because I was just ready to rock. Hey, you know, high energy, <laughs> ADD, you know, all that stuff. Um, and I, I got Baywatch when I was 10 and, uh, you know, I, I didn't even want to go to the audition. I was swimming in the pool with my friends and my mom's like, Jeremy, we got an audition. We got to go to LA. I'm like, I'm playing with my friends, mom. <laughs> she goes, uh, it's with the Knight Rider. You know the Night Rider, and I, you know, I love that show. Yeah, who didn't love right. the Night Rider? Dude, I had the, up, man. I had, the car with the little red yeah. light dude that talked to you. I had yeah. the big wheel, the yeah. big, the Night Rider big wheel. Yeah. You know, I thought I was pretty cool with that thing. I was like, okay, if it's with the Night Rider, I'll go. You know, and uh, it was a pretty uh, arduous. Uh, David Hasselhoff, by David the Hasselhoff. way, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, um, there was a big auditioning process, yeah. you know, and if it's. You know, everybody always talks about this, but uh, I beat uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for the role. Yeah. I bet he's really kicking himself these days for missing that oh, role. Oh, yeah. wait a second. Yeah. You beat out Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> yeah. for that role? Yeah. I That's think was like, like rad. Yeah. It's amazing. Something like 300 kids or 1,000 kids. Something something crazy. Maybe um, it was like the, you didn't even know, but maybe it was like the good addict in you that was putting on a show. Yeah. You know? Definitely was, man. <laughs> I don't like to lose. <laughs> Uh, I actually ended up really getting the role because I was so small for my age. Yeah. I was kind of like skinny and small. You could small. play like a younger kid even though you're he older. could pick me up. Yeah. The other kid they had that played Hobie before me, I guess he kind of hit puberty and got yeah. a little big. big. So we're like, let's get this kid. He's little. Last to get picked for sports. First to get yeah. picked for Baywatch. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so it was a pretty cool um, – Pretty co I actually, I remember in the car – when I got the call that I got the show was the day Michael Landon died. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like that yeah. day sticks out to me, you know, and I'm I always, Chris Landon. I always used to watch that show, the, the highway to, was yeah. it highway to heaven? Yeah. Highway to heaven. Yeah. So I always dreamed that an angel, a TV angel died, but a new one was reborn today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're in, you're kind of in that Hollywood setting and, and, you know, like do, when you look back and, and I'm sure people who are listening always, you know, wonder did that have an impact on you being a childhood actor at some point in your life? Do you think? I mean, of, of course, you know, um, yeah, I always want, I, I idolized Michael Jackson and I was always performing and dancing and that's, you know, the ultimate, um, you know, result, you know, I was, right. I was in the results business from a kid, you know, yeah. if I didn't get the job, the result wasn't there. There was something I did wrong. Totally. I wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? So, you know, having screaming, adoring fans, having, um, you know, top 10 hits on the music thing or um, being, you know, on the cover of the teen magazine instead of inside, you totally. know, like I was in yeah, the results totally game, it. man. Yeah. It was hardcore, but it's what I always wanted. So yeah. when it was good, it was good, you know. Yeah. Um, so it could probably, you know, 
I, I don't. Uh, people will ask me, you know, do you think the, in, the entertainment industry is why? Because there's a lot of drugs in yeah. the entertainment industry. I'm like, there's a lot of drugs everywhere. everywhere. The entertainment industry. Come to the news industry. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter. You just it's. It's everywhere, it's everywhere. In, the, in the umbrella of the entertainment industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was in me, you know what I mean? I totally. Would've, I would have ruined whatever gig I had. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, but it did set me up probably for some really big expectations and some, you know, it's like you're playing in the Super Bowl every day. You know, yeah. you go to work, there's millions of dollars riding on your performance, performance you know, and everybody's there for you. So it kind of, like, if you don't, it, it kind of gives you some, you know, some big power that you can wield over people and yeah. be like, I'm not showing up or, you know, I'll, I'll get there when I want, you know. So uh, it definitely created uh, certain certain behaviors or pathways or, you know, uh, you know, control when stuff. When did you start to like dip in? Like when did you start to like dip into whether it be alcohol or drugs? Like what was your first, you know, well the, in the, the, uh, the approval was definitely first sugar was definitely second, but you know, I, when I was a little kid, like we're talking in diapers, I blew out every, um, outlet in the house, every outlet. Bobby pins, forks, knives. You were the kid that had to touch the hot stove. Every time. Every time. Over and over Mom's and over. like, you're going to electrocuted. Yeah. Boop. Maybe, yeah. maybe this time it won't yeah. hurt. Like, <laughs> tweezers. I wonder if tweezers will, will do the same thing that right. the fork did. Bang. And I ended up doing it to a, a, a dryer outlet yeah. and blowing myself across Holy the room. Shit. So every, every outlet had a big black you know, yeah, explosion mark. mark on it. <laughs> so you know, bef- it was there way before I touched any drugs and alcohol. You know? um, so, but probably around 12, you know, I started getting some checks would come in the mail. Yeah. And I started having older friends and um, you know, paying for friendship and... Um, you know, running away from home, sneaking away and, 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 uh, drinking. I mean, I did crazy stuff. I, I, anything you told me not to do or that was dangerous, I had to do it because I thought there was a secret that people that had figured life out were keeping from me. Like if they're telling me not to do it, that must mean that in there yes. is the thing that's going to make me feel like a regular person. Right. Like it looks like everybody else. It, you know, has on the outside. So, I mean, I dipped a cigarette in like nail polish remover and like let it dry and tried to smoke it. Like I was, before I knew anything about drugs, nobody gave me an education on them. Right. You know, I was going to figure you were, something out. You were already seeking to escape from something. Big time. Yeah. Big time. Yep. So when, so you're about 13 years old around that mm-hmm, time 12, period? 12, 13, 14, it just got progressively you, worse. Yeah. Like what happened next? What happened? Well, you know, I it was a slow progression. It was drinking and stuff, and um, I, I I had always been so sensitive to sugar, and like I had panic attack. My mom took me off sugar because I was ADD, and I always thought if I did drugs, I would like die. You know, yeah. and somehow, some way, I ended up taking ecstasy at a nightclub when I was probably sixteen or fifteen, and it didn't kill me. So I'm like, hey, I guess the drug thing's not going to kill me like I thought. Um, got really into uh, heavy into cocaine around 16 and you know back then it was cool you know it's like if you have the cocaine and 
it's like people were always shocked. Jeremy, like when I grew up in Laguna Beach and I, I tell people this, I kind of tell people this story all the time. I'm like, you know, when I was growing up in Laguna Beach and my friends, uh, you know, we grew up in an affluent neighborhood. Yeah. So like friends had beach houses, our families had beach houses that they were never at. And we used to go down to Crystal Cove and we were doing blow at age 14, 15 and yeah. 16. Yeah. And like, mind you, we were going to like Santa Margarita, like private schools and growing up here in Orange County. But People just seem like when I share that part of my story, if they're not an addict or yeah. they don't know anybody who is, they're like, yeah, it's like shock. Like, how'd you do cocaine at age 14? Like, where were you buying it from? And I just tell people, I'm like, listen, like, we just found it. Yeah. You just, you find it. If you didn't have it, you were a lame. Yeah. It's so true though. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a status symbol back then, you know, um, a lot of clubs and club life, you know, I did the, the music overseas, so touring in nightclubs when I was 12, I got the nightclub fever. Jeez. So I loved the nightclub's life and um, had the fake ID and all that. Um, and, you know, when you're that young and you're hanging out with older friends, a lot of them, like, after the club, they're like, dude, I gotta go home, my mom's calling me. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, okay, so, like, find somebody who doesn't have a mom that's calling them. So I would, it was like the party crew turned into the after-party crew and then the after-after-party crew. And before you know it, I just weaseled my yeah. way into the under underbelly of the the gnarliness yeah. you know what i mean the dealers and and the addicts and so at what point did it start to crumble for you like at what point did you start to lose control where things just started to unravel you know i mean it because you and I are the same age. We're both 38 years yeah, old. So yeah. at what point in the process for you did it really start to just kind of crumble? Far sooner than I realized back then. Yeah. You know, but it was, you know, winter time. Holy crap. You've been partying your ass off. Get into rehab so that you can be ready for summertime. <laughs> yeah. You know, get your stuff together. You're picking your face. You're all skinny. Get, you know, get 60, 90 days. Go hit a home run. Yeah. Make your money. Scramble it all up again in the wintertime. Um, but, you know, when I ran out of cocaine one night and uh, fell, had fallen in love with this girl about 17 years old, um, and I did crystal meth for the first time, that was really where I didn't care about anything or anybody Shit. anymore. You know, and, uh, you know, love, lust mixed with that drug. Mixed with, uh, you know, not really understanding. Take me that first day, and we're going to compare stories really quick, because I remember vividly that first day I did meth, Mm. um, and I smoked it. And it was a drug that I stayed away from for so long, because I had had seen when my club days Mm -hmm. in New York City, like, I had friends who did it, and I was like, y'all look like death. Mm -hmm. Like, keep that shit away from me. Like, Crystal, that's what you look like on Crystal? I don't need it. So somehow, like, in New York City, was able to, to keep that stuff so far away, but... And then, like, I came to L.A. and was, like, my inhibitions were down on GHB, and I hit meth. And when Mm -hmm. I hit that meth Mm -hmm. pie for the first time, when I tell you at home, like, that drug will trick, addict, and seduce you into thinking you can do or be anything you want. And, like, superhero. Like, I knew I had met my match. The moment I hit that pipe, I was looking in a mirror. I saw, like, my pupils turn black, and I looked at myself, and I'm like, you're fucked, mm. and did not care. Like, that excited me. And as dark as that sounds, like, when I knew I was going down, yeah. that this thing was going to take me down, I, I was like, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. You know, same. You know, people talk about blackouts from, like, from alcohol or blackouts from Xanax or whatever, but you black out. I mean, 
there's no sense, you know, and there'll be brief moments where I would catch myself out of the corner of my eye in the mirror at the bathroom, be like, been up for how many days? And be like, right. oh shit, you're still doing this? Yes. Wait, you're still in it? Like, you were supposed to stop. Like, yeah. you said it like was three just days later, like 72 hours later. Yeah, and yeah. you're still doing it? And then, yeah. and it'd just be a fleeting, horrific realization. And I would come to like another three, four months later, deeper, more sunken in eyes, skinnier, like, oh, oh, yeah. wait a minute. You're still doing this? You said you were going to stop. Yeah. You know, so I was black out. How many times, and how many times, how many times did you ever like look in the mirror and tell yourself, and I remember physically like hitting myself Mm. being like, brother, you will never do this again. You're never going to do it again. And then like the Tuesdays would come around, I'd feel like crap. Thursday would come around, I'm starting to feel better. By Friday, I'm feeling good. And Saturday, I'm ready to hit it again. And I'm like, Fuck, what happened to Tuesday when you're beating yourself, being like, dude, bro, you're never going to do this again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wept in bed next to the woman that I loved at that time, wanting so badly for us to get out and knowing how drastically we needed to get out. She was getting all these horrible tremors and weird... Right. Th- I, 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 you know what I mean? That's like, what meth does. Yeah. And I was like, how weak, how pitiful that i i can't stop even for her you know and uh you know it started very romantic she was i had 163 iq she was a ballerina she was wow. gorgeous yeah. you know what i mean and she was a she was so smart and and she said, do some candy it's candy i'm like what's candy, <laughs> candy. i'm like no can we just find some coke no it's yeah. candy it's what's kids crystal like she pulls out these big shards and jeez and I'm like, what is that? And like, you know, like, and like, someone's like, it's meth, dude. Like meth. I'm like, oh, uh, trailer park stuff. <laughs> like, no, like I'll keep my teeth in my mouth. You totally. Know? Um, no way. I'm never snorting that garbage. And then, you know, with a little more withdrawal, a little more withdrawal. I'm like, oh, God, I'll, I'll try smoking it. You know, right. I've, I've heard, how do you do this? You know, that light bulb. Someone's like trying to show me how to do it with the light bulb. Like, oh, oh God. God. I think I stayed in the closet for, yeah. for a few months. God. <laughs> So you, you're kind of spiraling in that and, and you're going into that. What is, what is that rock bottom for you? You know, uh, I, I, I've, I've given so, I've had so many rock bottoms that I didn't give credit to or, or take, uh, take as seriously as I should yeah. have. But, um, you know, flash forward to that when, you know, the, the, the movie deals weren't coming through, the TV show calls weren't coming through anymore. I had walked away from Baywatch. I had quit the number one TV show in the world, um, you know, and it was their fault, right? It was, right. They, they, they mistreated me and um, I didn't get enough episodes. They didn't pay me enough and, right. and all that stuff. Um, and uh, I had learned how to cook methamphetamine because I was getting ripped off. You know, I'm just white, white kid, rich. Everybody assumes I have money and they just want to sell me the garbage and overcharge me. So I was like, screw this. I'm going to make it myself. So I'm hanging out with hell's angels and all these crazy people. And, um, I ended up getting, uh, like a whole meth task force, like raid. Like they followed me and watched me and, and like oh, vans and shotguns and copters and the whole thing, dude. And it's it was intense, man. Um, and uh, thank God for the Newport Beach Police Department. It arrested me in Yorba Linda. And I can remember probably 140 pounds, Jeez. you know. And I was looking out the window that same morning and I was like, it's just not fun anymore. Like, I just can't get high. I just, it's not working anymore, you know. And then 
40 minutes later or whatever when my hands are behind my back and I'm on the curb and I'm I'm like yeah. <laughs> and I'm like I'm so high like right. how did I not think I was high I'm so high like I am out I'm, I'm insane yeah right? and these cops said look I grew up in Orange County you yeah. know, they, they're like look at you kid what are you thinking kid what are you doing to yourself and I I looked at him it was the first time I ever even admitted it to myself like why did you what, what's wrong with you like what is wrong with me why am I why right. don't I have a Ferrari and on a TV show right. right now? Why am I hanging out with these wretched people? Like, God. I'm just an addict. Yeah. It was the first time I ever said it. I'm just an addict. Holy crap. You know, because we build these mountains of excuses mm-hmm. and mountains of reasons oh, and yeah. resentments and who did us dirty and why and what and what didn't go wrong and I didn't have a dad and, you know, yada, 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 yada. But really, the, the God's honest truth was I'm just an addict. It was the first time I ever said it. He's so When that cop said that to you... Um, it reminded me. It, it reminded me of when I had just gotten off my my bender. I was like hospitalized twice at Hollywood Presbyterian in a coma, and like I I, I got out of the hospital and got high again in a hospital robe. Ended up in the same ER on mm. coma. But that same a different person posed that question to me, and you know what they posed? They they said to me, "They said, Brandon, why are you so angry?" Mm. And I'm like, "Why am I so angry? What do you mean? Why am I so angry? You ask any of my friends, I will tell you, I will be there for them. I will. I'm loyal to them to a T. I'm always there for them." And this guy. I was like, no, why are you so angry? He goes, Brandon, people who are happy do not do what you're doing. And they don't hang out with the people you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like I'd get off my newscast mm-hmm. at KTLA at 11 p.m. I'd get high in the parking lot and I would go and hang out in the fucking ghettos in the slums of L.A. Yeah. with all these other people who people, are picking. Those are your people, though. Oh, yeah, they're picking at their face or this, but they <laughs> yeah. had the drugs. That's, yeah, They had the drugs and they were doing what I was doing. And it's like, yeah, that moment of self-reflection, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, why am I hanging out with these people? Like, what am I doing? Do you know, it's just different people. It just takes a different... We all have our different rock bottoms, right? And we all have these different awakenings. And some people always say, well, I thought that was your rock bottom. Or I thought that would be your rock bottom. And I just tell people, like, everybody has their own rock bottom until they fucking see how out of control their life is. Right. And the scary thing about that rock rock bottom where I was ashamed and and belittled and, and emasculated and 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 felt just like a, a, you know an urchin um it was too late yeah because i was already getting sentenced to seven to 35 years in prison and i can remember thinking to myself well isn't this great i finally admitted it and it's too, too late. freaking late i'm going to prison 140 pounds little tv boy yeah i'm gonna get my butt bashed yeah in. i can't even defend myself right now i'm worthless um, and it was, it was really scary and eye opening. So it, 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 uh, did you end up going to, did you end up spending time in jail behind bars? God, God has a way of, uh, lifting me out of the belly of the beast time and time again. You know, um, I went to, uh, a little bit of jail time, okay. um, private pay to stay jail, yeah. Huntington beach where I was a trustee and stuff. Right. So it wasn't as bad as I, I thought it was. And I got, you know, cost me the last of my dollars right. to, to get out of it. Um, and I did uh, six months in rehab, and um, you know that that was a, a solid nine months. It took at least nine months for my head to kind of come back. You had how much time? What was the longest time you've had in sobriety? Yeah, uh, but good twelve years. Yeah, I was fourteen years to the day that I didn't do math. I actually relapsed. I have nine twenty four two thousand tattooed on on the top of my right foot. For, okay. 
um, for all the years of starting off on the wrong one. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, and on nine twenty four fourteen, I relapsed on meth for the first time. But I had been taking I had been taking uh, steroids and prescribed, but not prescribed, and Adderall as prescribed. You know, like yes. like I was really so you were the line sober, like but you were years. yeah you were starting to. Starting yes. to start abuse Vince, stuff that yeah. wasn't prescribed to you in the totally. way you should have been. Totally. Yeah. And then eventually, of course, because of Corrupted taking medication and, um, you know, I started drinking. I said, you know what? I must not be an addict anymore because I'm taking a Xanax, half quarter of a Xanax once or twice a week. And you're not I, abusing I it. it. And you're yeah. not fiending for I don't, it. I don't need 30 milligrams of time released. I'll just take 15. Like, that's right. all I need. I'm like, wow, I'm not an addict anymore. But, of course, I had slowed down on on, on uh, doing the stuff that I did to get what I got, you know? Um so 14 years to the day, relapsed and um, was, you know, they say it gets worse, never better. It's 100% mm-hmm. true. You know, it got... Uh, so when you, um, you ended up relapsing, what was it, a year and a half ago? Um, no, it was about probably two and a half years ago. Okay, so you relapsed and it was on meth. Mm-hmm. What was, and I, I asked this question to, to everybody, even in the rooms of 12-step programs yeah. that I attend, is I always ask them a couple of things when they do come back, because... Um, I've, I've now haven't relapsed. I've been sober nine years. Relapse is not part of my story. Um, it doesn't have to be, it does not have to be. But one thing I always ask people is when they, um, come back to the rooms, I think it is so brave for anybody to relapse, to have the courage and the strength to come back. Um, because it takes a real strong, strong person just to come back and, you know, the shame and the guilt that comes with people in sobriety. If you go out and relapse, I'm telling you it exists, but you came back, and what was, I always ask people this, was it as good as you had, because we all have these, and I still have them, fantasies of using. Like, mm-hmm. I'll get user fantasies every now and then. Mm-hmm. I'm able to dismiss them, mm-hmm. but they don't go away, you know? And so, I always ask people, was, when you relapsed, was it great? What was the experience Oh, like? no, it was horrible. Right. It was horrible. Um, you know, when I when I started using when I was a kid, I, I was... Uh, you know, I was angry. I was confused. Mm. I was lost. Um, and when I when I went back to meth, I was uh, just in a lot of pain. You know, um, and I personally have never been able to stop on my own. It's always it's always handcuffs. I yeah. never stop until the handcuffs are <laughs> on. Um, but yeah, it was not fun. It was worse. Uh, horrible things happened. I got robbed at gunpoint multiple times. I had my car stolen. Um, yeah, jacked, uh, you know, left for dead, all kinds of crazy, maced, uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, um, a lot of really bad stuff and getting, getting arrested multiple times. And, you know, I, I, I always say, you know, like, oh yeah, well, I went on kind of steroids and, oh, I got a divorce and, you know, I lost my career. I walked away from my career and my cars and blah, blah, blah. But really I just stopped doing what I had done to get what I got. I stopped having that sober support network. I stopped showing up. I stopped taking the phone calls from the, from the sponsees. That's really what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, I went back to my home group and my buddy's taking 16 years and we got sober together and I'm like, what's the difference? Wait a minute. He probably had life stuff happen. Yeah. He probably had a family pa- member pass away or a dog or, you know what I mean? Broke yeah. up a relationship. What's the difference? Oh, he still, he kept coming. I didn't. I I I thought a couple of weeks and oh, I went on vacation. Now it's been a couple of months. And you know what I mean? Yeah. The fans start spinning again after a while. 
You know, you got to be constant. You got to be. So what was it? So now you, you've got how many years, how many, how much time do you have? A little over a year and a half. So a little over a year and a half. And what has, what has been that year and a half? What's that year and a half been like? It's been really. This time around. It's been really humbling and magic and, um, and blessed and divine. You know, um, I worked in rehab for about a year and, um, that was great kept my my head down low and my feet on the ground just in the middle of the pack a worker amongst workers and led groups and I got um, certified in breathwork meditation as a healer and lead these nice. amazing meditations which are my sponsor my sponsor if she, if she if she were listening right now she'd be like see see meditation brandon yes. meditation yeah. breathing techniques you need to get in, you need to get involved see, in that stuff do yeah. one on the podcast bro we might need, be, we might i might need to come back down here and we might need to out. do one yeah <laughs> um so the meditation's been great you know i um you, they, they say we got a threefold disease right so i try to i try to hit it from three ways you know i try to condition my my body um sharpen my mind and mm-hmm. feed my spirit you know? Nice, I love that. Yeah, so whether it's yoga, fitness, jujitsu for me, you know. Yeah, you find your peace on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did, you know, I when I was so he, um, you're doing BJJ, Brazilian yeah, Jiu-Jitsu. Brazilian it's when they're on the ground grappling mm-hmm. and you know all that stuff in your gi, and yeah. so I, 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 um, I moved to Atlanta. I had like 90 days sober, and I immediately got into kickboxing and I did Muay Thai, and yeah. I did that for almost seven years. And and I'm telling you, like there was just something that, especially at those beginning days of my sobriety. Mm-hmm. to get out there in the ring and either like beat the crap out of somebody or just let yeah. it out but there was a real calming yeah so i always tell addicts like if you're addicted or you're trying to get clean like uh our downtime is our worst time so yeah. find something to like drain you and kickboxing drained me to where i was so physically tired in that first year of recovery like physically from working out yeah that like any itch that <laughs> yeah. I had to go out with friends, I was, I, and my sponsor <laughs> told me, he's like, do something to wear you out. So mm-hmm. you're a hamster until you're done. Yeah. And yeah. it worked. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. So yeah, man. What's uh, like the, what's the, what's the message that like you, cause you know, the fact of the matter is, is that you're somebody who was in the Hollywood spotlight. You definitely have a fascinating story and there's a lot of people who are going to be listening to like and hanging on to every word that you say. And what do you say to people now through your own experiences, you know, to kind of inspire them? You know, um, there's just, there's an unseen magic, um, that happens when you really are willing to let go of everything. You know, you don't have to let go of your kids, you don't have to let go of your job. You don't have to let go of of a relationship. But you just have to be willing to. Mm. You have to be willing to let anything come or go without your preference, right? Because um, it's self will for me is the thing that kills me. So just being willing to to let life happen and as it's supposed to put one foot in front of the other, do the best job that I can. You know, all of the best stuff I've ever had in my life, all of the most amazing things have been handed to me freely. You know, I mean, I'm crazy with the jujitsu or crazy with the acting or whatever stuff that I put my efforts into, but the biggest rewards, the biggest gifts and the the coolest life stuff have always just come from left field and just been like, Oh, by the way here, you know, like when I came back to recovery, um, working in the rehab, tail between my legs. I didn't have anything. And uh, no car, I know nothing, debt, 
And, uh, you know, somebody just saw me doing a good job and not caring about the ride and the chick mm-hmm. and, the, and the apartment, you know, yep. they gave me a friggin' truck free and clear. Like, Hey, I have extra. Like, I just see that you're really doing this here. I was like, Oh my wow. gosh. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do working in rehab. And one of my buddies who's got, um, eight years, he's like, Hey, he's doing really good. Hey, want to be my, my private chef? Yeah. Here, you know, here, here's a job. Like, what? I'm, okay. I'll be a private chef. Okay. Right. Sure. Like I'll just do the best I can at private yeah. chefing. You know, like it's just, <laughs> it's just been handed to me yeah. free and clear. I, but those are the gifts, man. Those it's are the crazy. gifts of, those are the gifts of sobriety that when we do the right thing and when we're out of ourselves and we're doing, you know, service work for others and, <laughs> You know the the most incredible gifts. They they've always been there, but now we're able to be open to seeing them. Yes, you know. Yeah, and taking advantage of them. I I feel like people don't maybe believe it will happen for them if they're willing to let go completely, totally, and just strip it down and mm-hmm. say whatever God's will is, um, and stay in the day. And uh, you know, it's been so magic, dude. I'm so lucky to be here and and have another shot at life and just be a worker amongst workers and yeah. part of a collective organism because together we're so strong. Like we're, we're, you know, we're invincible together. hundred percent apart. I'm, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm a cut my pinky <laughs> off, throw it in the corner. Pinky's going to die. The body's going to go off and be fine. And yeah. I'm going to be shriveled up in the corner. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I cannot cut myself off from that group of like-minded individuals that are, that are working a program. Yeah. No, I, I feel the exact same way. And um, that's like the, a beautiful message to kind of end it on. Um, thank you for, for sharing your story so openly and publicly. And, and the fact of the matter is I get so many emails and messages already from people watching the podcast. And a, a lot of them are just desperate to find stories of hope. Mm. You know, they're desperate. And, you know, I know that the recovery rates from people who shoot heroin and who do meth, it's not great. So the more stories that we can share about people who've gone down the path that you've gone, who've gone down the path that I've gone, we can still have the ability to create a beautiful life for ourselves. Better than you ever expected. Better than you ever expected. I mean, to think that my mindset at one point was if I got sober, if like, if I, if I quit doing this, I'm never going to have fun again. I'm never going to smile again. I'm never going to laugh again. Mm. The truth of the matter is I laugh harder than I've ever laughed before. Like in my life, I've never felt more fulfilled into this moment that I have in this life that I have now. And it is through networking. It's through recovery, but it's through because other people were willing to share their story with me to just let me know, brother, you ain't alone up in here. Right. You know, you're not alone up in here. Yeah. So, um, all right, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to come back and do another podcast session of like how to like properly breathe. My freaking eye, I, my eye watch tells me to breathe all the time, probably because it's like you know, you're holding your breath too long. Like, buddy, what's going on with you? Like, wake up. So, I could use a good lesson on I'll meditation. I know my therapist and my sponsor would be like, yes, you need. <laughs> You need like meditation work. So, brother, thank hey, you so God much. You. God bless you thank too. You, awesome. Awesome. Woo! So, thanks for uh, watching the podcast on Escaping Rock Bottom. Get it on uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and my website. And uh, we'll see you next Wednesday.